Let's move into perhaps the darkest time for these noble men. Now, the sudden fall of the Knight Templars. Up until the mid-12th century, the Knight Templars had actually become extremely known pretty much everywhere, worldwide, and they had participated and won many battles, such as the battle against the Muslim troops in the Crusades various times. However, what led to their soon-to-be demise was actually the fact that the Christian factions or different Christian orders, such as the Knight Templars, the Knights Hospitalier and the Teutonic Knights had disputes amongst themselves. On the other side, however, Muslim troops, particularly the ones under leader Saladin's control, actually became more tight-knit and therefore battling against the Christian troops actually became easier and easier, which did in fact lead the Muslim troops to be able to regain control over the Holy Land, essentially capturing Jerusalem again. Now, after several losses like the one previously mentioned, what started to infiltrate not only amongst factions, but also between donors and investors in the Knights was actually the seed of doubt, a group of once unbeatable record being won over time and time again, began to preoccupy the people who had believed in them in the first place. Because of this, the Knight Templars were pretty much obligated to relocate time and time again after each battle. Initially, they moved away to the seaport of Acre. Then, after a century, they moved to Tortosa, which was located in Syria. Then they moved to Atlit in Israel. Then once again to the island of Cyprus. Once they had noticed that they were essentially losing all control, contacts and grounding that they had acquired the previous 200 years, they tried to attempt one last campaign, which was based on the idea to join the Franco-Mongols in the conquering or invasion of Awad, a little island over on the coast of Tortosa. However, their plan came to pretty much no fruition since in the siege of Awad, they lost the island to the Mamluk Sultanate. After this, the last portion of Lost, Wadukyu was pretty much their exile from the Holy Land in its totality. Now onto the merging of orders and the betrayal. Because of their now slow and very much obvious detrimental downfall, what occurred to the Pope Clement IV in France, in order to have a mere chance of saving such a legacy, was the fusing or the merging of the two most powerful orders at the time, which were the Knight Templars and the Knights Hospitalier. Having had a little bit of a rough patch between these two orders previously, there was quite a bit of hesitation from both parts. Nonetheless, the Pope kindly asked both leaders or grandmasters of each order to present themselves in France in order to kind of hash things out and get to some sort of solution really for the future. However, even though Jacques de Malay, the grandmaster of the Knight Templars, showed up when asked. Fulk de Villaret, Grandmaster of the Knights Hospitalier, didn't. In fact, he was delayed several months, which, wow, disrespectful. Luckily, being the gentleman that he was, Jacques de Molay decided to utilize this time in order to discuss other issues at hand with the Pope. The one that stood out the most was actually the erroneous rumors going around the Knight Templars, which were about heresy, denying Christ, worshipping idols, and having sexual relationships with one another, and much more as a forms of initiation. Of course, these had been done previous to the meeting and had already been denied, yet he wanted to clarify everything with the Pope in person. Almost by destiny, sadly, a couple of months later in September 1307, unbeknownst to anyone, the King of France at the time, whom was King Philip IV, had actually begun to plot and plan the downfall of the Knight Templars. Now, you may be wondering, what does this have to do with the rumour? So where the hell did this come from? Well, it actually seemed out of the blue, but in actuality it wasn't. The king owed 
the Templars a huge debt that quite simply, quite frankly, he couldn't pay. This had been utilized in order to be able to pay for three wars that he had had back to back with Aragon, England, and Flanders. We're talking about paying back a total of almost 3 million LTs, which were Livres Tournois, one of the many coins of France at the time. Instead of doing all of that, however, he thought it best to fix things in other ways. For example, a great solution he came up with was to arrest Lombard merchants um, who were Italians that had actually lended money to him previously. Yet he thought it best to just arrest them, take their French land, and then force them to pay for French nationality or get them kicked out, which I guess worked to an extent, yet the debt he had accumulated was beyond him. So much in fact that this little rebellion didn't do much, since he still owed to different factions millions. On the other hand, I guess he took note of that L he took because he then thought of another bright idea which was instead of arresting the Knight Templars, he would just murder them. Yep, just completely annihilate them. However, he couldn't just do this out of the blue without some sort of, I guess you could say, excuse. Sadly to say, only a couple of months prior, the Templars had welcomed a new member of the Order, only for them to kick him out a month later, which I guess pissed him off greatly, since he was the one to spread rumours about what the Templars would actually do on a day-to-day -day basis. Of course, having been plotting and planning prior to this, the King saw this as an opportunity to strike, especially with the simple fact that one of the Master Templars was now present in France. So I guess if you strike the leader, well then the rest would do fall down. On to the accusations and the torture. Of course, a month later, in the 13th of October, 1107, which a lot of people automatically associate with Friday the 13th because of the severity and just straight up massacre that occurred, the king sent out the signal to arrest all members of the order, unbeknownst to them, to which the arrest warrant, after arresting the Templars, began arresting them by saying, God is not pleased we have enemies of faith in the kingdom, which were the king's words. He then proceeded to paint this as normal by claiming that they had done the following. Now, the initial charge against the Templars was heresy, specifically, and I quote, when professing, the brothers were required to deny Christ, to spit on the cross, and to place three obscene kisses on the lower spine, the navel, and the mouth. They were obliged to indulge in carnal relations with other members of the order. And finally, they wore a small belt which had been consecrated by touching a strange idol, which looked like a human head with a long beard. As if that wasn't already dramatic, especially at the time, since the Templars had been part of the Christendom for over 200 years and were essentially a symbol for all people worldwide. On August 12, 1308, pretty much a year later, the king decided to amp the charges. Here he began by stating that the Templars worshipped idols, specifically made of a cat and a head, and the latter having three faces. Not only that, but he also accused them of sacrificing to Baphomet, which a manifestation of the devil, and it goes on. The list of articles went from 86 to 127, and he would add many other charges. However, none of these idols, per se, were even produced, and that wasn't the only lack of evidence. The king essentially had begun to just capture, arrest, and torture the Knight Templars out of plain rumours, which, of course, the Templars denied, or at least most of them did, until the torturing began. Now, trigger warning, in case you're uncomfortable with pain, torture, or you have a really accurate and vivid imagination, this may be quite morbid for you, so please skip ahead around 40 seconds. Thank you, and sorry for the gruesome details. Now, the first thing they did was to completely starve them and if they occasionally fed them it was just rations of bread and water 
basically. If that wasn't enough to make them snap, they then would continue on to something they would refer to as the strapadu, which essentially was the action of cuffing or tying a person's hands behind their back and then lifting them over their head to the point they would dislocate their shoulders. Another famous torture that occurred was where one of the Templars was also tied, yet he was kept basically in a pit with only a foot of space. That wasn't the end though, since he was tied so tightly that blood actually had begun to pool in his fingertips. Other poor men were stretched out continuously. Some were actually sadly tortured in even more savage manners, like having their feet covered with butter and oil and then slowly burnt, with fire essentially roasting them, which is morbid. Of course, with such inhumane acts, most of the Templars actually did orally confess to such disgusting rumours in order to be freed from the savage pain. However, when the king set up the trials, he pretty much threatened to set out the military on the Pope at the time. So of course the Pope, irregardless of the now changed confessions of the Templars, he now decided to charge them with heresy on top of all the other accusations. This then led to the most horrible part, and that was the death of around 54 Templars burnt at the stake in public, only in Paris, because remember that they were being hunted throughout Europe. Others died of starvation and torture in their cells, sadly, and the most, I guess you could say, silver lining, if there even was, was actually in Jacques de Malay's last few moments. Here, alongside Geoffrey de Charny, they were led to the stake in Paris on the 18th of March, 1314. And here's where both knights laid down what would be named a curse over King Philip and Pope Clement. Jacques de Malay remained defiant and claimed he was innocent until the very end. So much was his rebellion that he actually asked to be put facing the Notre Dame Cathedral and be allowed to hold his hands together in prayer. As he was engulfed in flames, he shouted a curse. Now here remain two theories. One is that Geoffrey de Charny started the beginning of the curse and Jacques de Malay finished it. Whilst another source claims that it was only Jacques de Malay who stated it without any sort of fear or hindrance as he stated the following prophecy slash warning. According to legend, he called out from the flames that both Pope Clement and King Philip would soon meet him before God. His actual words were recorded on the parchment as follows. God knows who is wrong and has sinned. Soon a calamity will occur to those who have condemned us to death. So... You may be wondering, what happened after such a brutal death and what was the karma that had been sown by both the king and the pope? Well, only 33 days later, Pope Clement had karma on his head. However, this wasn't just because of the lives of Jacques de Malay and Geoffrey de Charny, but a lot of several other knights. So it is no surprise he actually became gravely ill and bedridden pretty much from the next day until his last few days alive. It is said that he died while his body was lying in state. He was constantly in pain and he knew just as he was dying that it had been caused by the decisions he made previously. Then what striked me as weird was that he actually died in a very weird circumstances, you know. He wasn't only ill, there was also a thunderstorm during the night he was dying and lightning apparently struck the church where his body lay setting it on fire. The fire was so intense that by the time it was extinguished, the Pope's body had been all destroyed. Now, on the other hand, King Philip may have died a year and a day later, but his karma was more so generational. He personally died by a cerebral stroke in a hunting accident, yet he wasn't the only one. The curse was actually beyond him. And so the Capitan dynasty he had actually been a part of, along with his sons, soon started to crumble. His sons were also influenced by their father's karma since they became kings and then would soon die after. Not only that, but they actually didn't manage to bear any children, therefore leaving the throne and the dynasty 
completely dead. You can read other more so fictional takes on this particular story in the book of the Accursed Kings, which people claim is very good, so I'm gonna have to buy it. And that would mark the end to a fantastically interesting tale of an order that took course over 192 years, leaving their mark all over the world. To this day, there's actually a whole bunch of ruins, there's a whole bunch of historical pieces and other sacred things pretty much hidden worldwide. I actually found an article the other day that they found if I'm not mistaken, a letter or something like that from the Knight Templars encrusted in between stones in a some weird Greek island, but I don't remember what the name was, so I'm sorry about that. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. It was very much interesting, and I wish you all an amazing week ahead, filled with love, abundance, protection, foresight, and wisdom. I appreciate your constant support and the love that you have shown me. It's incredible that you have given me a chance, and I truly appreciate it. If you have any recommendations, don't hesitate hesitate to send them my way. Also, I haven't been posting on YouTube because I don't know what it is with this. There's some sort of retrograde going on, but it just won't let me download videos and it won't let me upload videos. So once again, I'm having technical issues, so I'm sorry about that. But as soon as that is, you know, over, I'm going to be posting back to back. So thank you for your patience. Have a good week ahead. Good luck and goodbye. Uh